Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the analysis.news. In a few seconds, we'll be back with Bob Poland to discuss inflation. And speaking of inflation, don't forget there's a donate button on the page. Uh, we can't do this without your support. Uh, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, if you're listening to one of the podcast platforms, uh, please come over to the website. Same thing if you're on YouTube and, and get on the email list. That's the only real way to know uh, when our new stories are coming out. And we'll be back in just a few seconds. The annual inflation rate in the U.S. slowed to 8.3% in April. Slowed. And that's after a 41-year high of 8.5% in March. Energy prices increased 30.3%. That's a little bit below March. Gasoline was at 43.6%. These are annualized inflation rates uh, in April compared with 48. So down a little bit from March. Well, fuel oil actually increased a little bit in April over March. Food's up around 9% and in many, in many key products even higher. Housing at least 5% and in some places far higher. But it's a little bit down. So is inflation trending down? Is raising interest rates the answer? And what's really driving inflation? Now joining us is Bob Poland. He's the co-founder of Perry, the Political Economy Research Institute in Amherst, Massachusetts, author of the book he co-authored with Noam Chomsky titled Climate Crisis and the Global Green New Deal, the Political Economy of Saving the Planet. Thanks for joining me, Bob. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. So before we get started, uh, after our last interview about inflation, uh, there was all kinds of comments and everything because you were saying uh, you weren't expecting a, a lot of inflation and a little inflation if it's caused by higher wages isn't so bad because normally when wages are higher, uh, it, they go higher than the rate of inflation. So there is a gain. Um, but where we're at now is far beyond, I guess, what you and most other economists were imagining back then. Um, so deal a little bit with this question, well, how much are wages part of what's happening now? And, and then what are the other and perhaps more important forces driving inflation? Sure. Okay. So yes, I don't need to recite the numbers you just gave, which are all accurate and critical figures. Uh, so if the overall inflation rate is 8.3%, the average uh, increase in labor costs over the last year was about 4%. So that means that the overall inflation rate is rising twice as fast as the uh, labor costs, including wages and including productivity, the amount that the workers are contributing. So uh, what that tells us at the very least, it tells us is that there's other factors driving the overall inflation rate beyond anything to do with wages, because the wages on average are only going up by 4%. And by the way, where are the wages going up highest? Well, the, high, the fastest wage increases are workers in the uh, food and accommodation, hotels and restaurants. These are people who got laid off during COVID, the COVID lockdown, who uh, experienced real income losses, 
And yeah, so uh, it's about time they got a bit of a wage increase. I assume that's also a lot of people working in that sector actually didn't even want to go back to that sector because of COVID. And they're having to raise wages to attract people. To get them back at all. Yeah. And their wages are still obviously uh, barely uh, above a minimum wage, barely a survival wage. So that's where the largest jump in, in wage increases is. Uh, for example, wage increases for union workers is below the average. It's about three and a half percent. The average is four percent. So this notion that you know workers are strong-arming their way through unions to higher wages is obviously inconsistent with the facts. And then let me and, and let me just add one other thing: whole sectors of the economy where people are at the lowest end of the scale and not in the service industry. I don't think their wages have gone up much at all, and they're getting the worst screwed by this inflation. Right. So. Uh, what are the other two factors that are driving this overall inflation rate? Uh, we already mentioned one, and we need to come back to it, which obviously is energy. And the energy price increases, if we look at gasoline and heating oil, as you mentioned, huge jumps, uh, you know, close to 50% jumps. And that far exceeds anything that uh, might be resulting just from supply chain issues. It's because... The, uh, the oil companies, the fossil fuel companies, are able to mark up their prices beyond, uh, well beyond their costs. The war in Ukraine is part of the story, but this is already going on before the war started. So this represents their pricing power, their monopolistic pricing power. Uh, so they, they did experience a major dip during the COVID lockdown. And they're more than making up for it. So we can see it. Their stock prices are up 40, 50, 60% relative to pre-COVID. Their profitability is up relative to pre-COVID. So that's one thing that's going on. The other thing that's going on is generally the supply chain uh, breakdown that occurred during the COVID lockdown and is still working its way through. So as one example, uh, you know, used cars, are up about 40% relative to a year ago. Why use cars? Well, primarily because of the shortage of computer chips uh, for building new cars. Uh, about 2,000 computer chips are in integrated into a new car assembly. And so without those, we have a slowdown in new car manufacturing, resulting in higher demand for used cars. And that's kind of representative of what's going on so the supply chain issues, I think, are working themselves out. And that's why, as you noted, we are starting to see a bit of decline in the inflation. The other two factors, uh, the wage increases and the energy, energy prices are still, you know, locked in. And, you know, a hundred, uh, gasoline is uh, 150% higher than what it was a year ago. Uh, you know, at gas at the pump, you know, averaging about $4.50 a gallon in the U.S., it was, you know, $2.20 a year ago. Now, let's focus on the wage increases because that's the part you asked about the central, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. So effectively, the Federal Reserve policy of raising interest rates to fight inflation is effectively a policy of uh, raising the unemployment rate. And 
weakening worker bargaining power. This is stated explicitly. I actually just uh, printed out yesterday a story from Bloomberg News that is saying how the financial markets and the Fed are very happy to see that the workers' bargaining power is going down, that they anticipate higher unemployment rates, and that that is going to bring down inflationary pressure from the side of workers. Now, what does this all mean? Uh, on average, workers haven't gotten a raise in the U.S. for 50 years, close to 50 years. The average worker's uh, wage at about $52,000 a year in, in today's dollars is basically what it was in 1973-74. So when we start to see a little, you know, we did get a drop in unemployment due to the stimulus programs to fighting the COVID lockdown. They were effective at driving down unemployment quickly and giving workers correspondingly a bit of bargaining power, a bit of bargaining power. And what we're saying now is that the U.S. economy cannot operate uh, with workers having any bargaining power is effectively what we are saying, because they're saying, you know, the unemployment rate officially is 3.6 percent and that's giving workers too much bargaining power. And workers' bargaining power is uh, reflected in this 4% average uh, wage increase. That's giving workers too much bargaining power. Now, keep in mind, inflation, just as a matter of definition, inflation is not wages going up by definition. It is businesses marking up prices, maybe because the wages have gone up or maybe because they have pricing power. And so what we are really seeing, and I, it, this requires a lot of reflection, is that we're seeing an economy which is unable to give workers wage increases that are sustained um, under our current institutional environment. That the result of workers getting any wage increases is that businesses mark up uh, by equivalent or more. And that we're saying that that is a, a, the only solution to that is to drive back down the workers' bargaining power, down to where it's zero, down to where they get no wages increases. So, you know, we had uh, 40 years ago, uh, the average worker was making, yeah, about 50,000 or roughly, and the average CEO was making 2 million, 15 times. Today, the average worker is still making about 50,000, and the average CEO is uh, making 20 million. So the average CEO's uh, compensation has gone up tenfold uh, relative to what it was uh, 50 years ago, whereas the average worker has basically remained flat. That, to me, defines neoliberalism as well or not if better than anything else. And that's where saying that this is the institutional environment that we have to defend by forcing uh, the interest rates up, which will in turn engender uh, declining uh, employment. Uh, I remember uh, maybe around a year ago, uh, I would listen to Bloomberg radio and I would hear Wall Street uh, experts come on supporting the big stimulus packages. And they would say, look, you know, inflation is really structurally gone now. Um, and 
it, the spending itself is not going to cause inflation. And then I would hear Republicans and conservative Democrats going on and on about all this debt and deficit uh, is going to be inflationary. And, and then I, 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 it kind of hit me, and this is what you were saying, it's not that the spending, quote unquote, was inflationary. What these guys didn't like was the, the money people were getting in their bank accounts and the support, the financial support they were getting, which frankly was pretty modest, but at least it was something. It was going to do something that the Republicans said most openly, but didn't use these words, but it's what they meant. It was going to weaken labor discipline. They had got the working class used to shitty wages. They had got the working class used to not quitting a job because you're afraid you'd never get another job. Now, and in fact, what they were worried about, these conservatives, has actually come to pass to a large extent. People aren't always going back to the job they hated. People are more willing to quit uh, because unemployment was not so high as it had been. So the prime directive now for these guys is you got to squeeze this back out of the economy. You got to get the working class back in line. So that's what, I mean, you mentioned the quitting. It's true. The so-called quit rate has gone up. The percentage of workers who are quitting their jobs is higher. I mean, it's, it's actually, dip, it's starting to dip down, which is what the, uh, the bosses want. But you know what the rate, the, the peak rate, the quit rate is, is three, it was three and a half percent. So 97.5% of workers are not quitting their jobs. Three and a half percent work. Uh, during COVID, it was much lower. It was only one and a half percent. So yeah, the stimulus programs did succeed. They succeeded in preventing a, you know, 1930s style Great Depression. They did succeed in bringing down unemployment really quickly. You know, during COVID, uh, the top unemployment rate, you know, uh, spiked at, at 15%. And then it came right back down. Uh, so to within months, it was down to roughly where it is now, less than 4%. Uh, in after the 2009 uh, financial crisis, it took a decade to get unemployment down to less than 4%. We did it uh, this time in less than a year. So the stimulus program did succeed. And yes, it did give workers somewhat more modest, but gave them some bargaining power. The, the child credit uh, lifted, yeah, it lifted millions of children out of poverty. And it enabled their parents, mothers primarily, to not have to hold two, three jobs. Uh, it, that was good. That money has run out now. Uh, and that's part of the reason why we're going to start to see inflationary pressures dip. That will happen in any case, but the Fed is now focused on bringing it down further via uh, raising interest rates to slow the economy to, let's say what it really is, to raise the unemployment rate and to uh, uh, eliminate whatever modest increase in worker bargaining power that workers have experienced in the last month, in the last year. But the stimulus spending itself, even the effect it had on, on a, a very, very modest increase in wages and lowering of unemployment, how much has that got to do with the inflation? Because if, if it's such a minor component 
of the bigger causes of inflation, as you're saying, the cost of fuel, supply chain issues and such, um, then what the hell is raising interest rates going to do about to slow inflation? Well, if we say that inflation is roughly 8% and wage increases are roughly 4%, well, you, if you can get that 4% wage increase down to zero, now you're down to a 4% inflation rate. If the supply chain issues are 2% of the overall and the two, that is going to work itself out, well, guess what? We're back to 2% inflation uh, caused mainly by oil prices. And yeah, that's what we, you know, we have been running an economy at roughly 2% inflation for decades. But how much, how much of this in inflation, when you say wages, 4%, so that's 4% of inflation, but is it really a one-to-one -one relationship? Because, because it could be wages go up 4%, but as a, it's actually only 2% of inflation. Like I, they did a study here of a grocery store uh, called Loblaws, here being in Canada where I'm living now. Um, it's probably the biggest grocery chain. And they compared the profitability pre-COVID to the profit ratio now. And it's significantly higher, the, the, the amount of profit. They're using all this as an excuse to raise profit. So That's right. So it's, not, it's definitely not one for one. Um, so, yeah, it, even in that 4%, that to be more precise, it's not all wages. It's labor costs. So if we factor in wages plus productivity increase, so if the productivity, let's say, only goes up, if it goes up by 1%, so the wage increase is 3%. Uh, in any case, you're right. The fact that workers get wage increases of 3% or 4% does not mean that the businesses necessarily raise their prices by that amount. Number one, it could, you could increase productivity. And number two, it means that, okay, effectively we are modestly building in a more egalitarian distribution of overall income. So if businesses sell their products, they get income. Who gets the shares of income? Well, you know, it's not written by law that workers can't get a somewhat bigger share of the income. We are effectively saying that that's true. Workers cannot get a bigger share of income that what we've experienced over now more than two generations is that workers in the U.S just don't get raises. They are basically experience wage stagnation for almost 50 years, while average productivity has more than doubled. So if, you know, if the workers were making on average $50,000 a year now, rough, I'm speaking in rough numbers, productivity has gone up, uh, you know, two and a half times. If the workers got wage increases equivalent to their amount they produce every day, they'd be making over $100,000. And the income distribution in the U.S. would stay the same. But what, like I said, instead, you know, the workers are making $50,000 in 1970, and the, and the CEOs make $2 million. The workers make $50,000 now. The CEOs make $20 million. That's the reality that this, pro this policy is defending that the, the gains from productivity go entirely to the ownership class, whether it's CEOs or whether it's coupon clippers on Wall Street. 
The uh, it seems to me there's two things that kind of operate from the point of view if you own a business and you're looking at your workforce or, or even bigger picture at the working class. One is the level of desperation versus the amount of confidence workers have. And the, uh, the lower unemployment is, and, 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 the, and because of the stimulus and, and the certain uh, lack of lessening of desperation, at least for a while, it's given rise partly to a new militancy in the working class. People are getting organized into unions. Uh, there's strikes all over the country. You know, when, when, you know, this issue of labor discipline is, is a thing of we, we got to raise the desperation factor and, and yeah. shake the confidence, you know, with, through globalization. I'm saying we are putting on a hat as if I'm a corporate guy. Uh, you know, through globalization, we shook the confidence of the working class. They were so afraid if they organized, we would ship their jobs offshore. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and now, you know, they're getting confidence back. And there's even talk that we can't trust the global supply chain and we may have to bring production back to the U.S. Well, if we're going to do that, we need to do it in a way that doesn't increase workers' confidence. Right. So, I mean, look at where the organizing is taking place. For example, Starbucks. You can't ship coffee delivery uh, to China uh, or to Guatemala. I mean, the workers are here. Same, same thing with an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> That's right. Same thing, exactly what I was going to say. They have to be able to deliver here in the U.S. And so that creates this problem, which is worker discipline. And by the way, let's give credit where it's due. This is like front and center, Karl Marx, uh, Das Kapital, Volume 1, Chapter 25. This was one of the most critical points he makes in all his voluminous writings, that capitalism cannot operate effectively at full employment because full employment will give workers too much bargaining power. So he uh, coined this term, the reserve army of labor, which we call mass unemployment, is critical to the operation of capitalism. That was his point. And we are experiencing exactly this Marxian scenario right now. So, uh, you know, I asked a friend of mine, young, youngish friend of mine, what she thought was the reason for rising inflation. And her one of her first answers, well, my friends are saying wage increase. And I think it's, it's, it's very true that in sectors of the working class that are not unionized, they often blame unionized workers uh, for inflation. Uh, and, and it's simply not true. Uh, no, it's not true. I mean, that's not true from the government statistics. The wage increases for unionized workers are slower than the wage increases for the average worker right now in the U.S. Now, the other factor, just to get into it a bit, is the uh, energy prices. And uh, my position, which may be a bit controversial, is I don't think energy prices should come down. I think energy prices need to, fossil fuel energy prices, need to stay high and maybe even go up high. Uh, why? Obviously, to, to discourage people from consuming oil, coal, and natural gas because they're the major cause of climate change. So what do we do about it? We also have to defend the well-being of the working class. So actually, there's a pretty good proposal in Congress now, uh, which is a windfall profit tax. 
that would tax the at least 50% of the profitability of the uh, energy corporations, private corporations, and distribute that money back to people. My own, my own rough calculation, if you did that uh, at current uh, gasoline fossil fuel prices, um, and you, you taxed, uh, it would be about $130 billion in revenue over the year. And then you could distribute that in equal shares to every single person in the country, to keep it simple. Everybody gets $400, every single person. So in a family of four, therefore it gets $1,600. So it does a pretty good job of defending uh, the living standard of working class families. Uh, ideally, we shouldn't have the oil companies having pricing power at all. And we should therefore have the oil companies nationalized as we've talked Yeah, about. well, that's the one, that's the proposal I like because yeah, sure, if you, if you nationalize fossil fuel, you could lower the cost of gasoline for ordinary people because it'd be part of a plan to phase them out. Then we just keep cutting the supply every, yes, we could have reasonable prices, but we factor in that you don't need a, a price disincentive. You don't need high prices to prevent people from buying gas. You just make the supply lower and you say, you know what? Go buy an electric heat pump and you can electrify your house <clears throat> rather than re requiring you to buy heating oil. And that would be the most rational policy now. Short of that, the windfall profit tax is better than lowering the fossil fuel prices because uh, right now we're, you know, we're still making almost no progress in eliminating fossil, uh, CO2 emissions. Well, let me jump to that then just in the few minutes we have left here. What is left of what wasn't much of a climate plan to begin with, but it was something, the Biden climate plan. Is there anything left of it? Not so, so much. I mean, nothing has passed, right? I mean, the Build Back Better, which started with Bernie Sanders as a very robust program. It was climate, several other things, but the climate part was a good third of the overall program. And then, you know, Biden cut it in half and then he cut it again to satisfy Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema. They still won't support it. At least, you know, in my reading of the, of the chatter out of Washington, that, uh, uh, Manchin said he would support something focused only on climate and not all these other social spending areas. Uh, that's what I read, but nothing's happened. So to date, no. Meanwhile, to date, uh, Biden has reneged on his promise not to allow drilling, uh, exploration and drilling on federal lands. Uh, the excuse being, well, we need to expand supply, oil supply, to bring the price down. Uh, of course, allowing drilling on federal land will have absolutely zero impact on prices, if at all, maybe for a couple of years. Well, it makes no sense. There's no national oil price. There's a global oil price. And just because you produce more in the United States, they're still going to sell it at global prices. And the amount that you could increase supply in the United States through the on the lands would be minuscule relative to the global market. So it has no impact whatsoever. I'm sure 
the people in the Biden administration really know this. Uh, this is simply, you know, for optics to show, well, uh, we're doing something to lower gas prices. It won't lower gas prices. So, uh, but in any case, uh, kind of that means uh, overthrowing uh, Biden's promise. He promised as a candidate, I will not allow any, any new increase of uh, exploration drilling on federal lands. To make the point, he says, period, 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 period. Uh, I will never allow it. Okay, well, so much for that promise. And he's allowing it. Now, what we also therefore need, again, you know, Putin isn't the only bad guy in the world. The world depends 80% right now on fossil fuels for energy. There's always going to be some kind of crisis, short-term, something with oil supply and prices, and that therefore we need to have, as part of the climate transition, we have to factor in these, these short-term uh, uh, shocks are going to continue happening. That's just the way the world works. And every time one happened, we can't have the administration say, oh, for now, okay, we're going to forget about climate just for a few months. We're going to run this other thing to lower prices. And then six months again, we'll pick up our climate program. We have to have, for example, uh, something like this windfall profit tax. We have to hugely subsidize energy efficiency, hugely subsidize uh, the expansion of renewable energy. And that's the way through which we can build in uh, a new energy infrastructure as quickly as possible. And with today's politics, that ain't happening. Uh, this 2022 is going to be a rather critical election. You're right. So what we have to do, if we can't succeed at the federal level, keep fighting at all levels, at the state level, at the, at the local level. You know, at my own institution here, UMass, we have uh, instigated a program to be at zero fossil fuels in 10 years. So let's let all the campuses do the exact same thing. And we have to move, we have to make something happen, whether it happens at the federal government level or not. Um, I was talking to some organizers in West Virginia, and I was kind of surprised how little they're actually talking about climate and basically saying, because people aren't interested, uh, they're not even really talking about just transition, which I would have thought would have been like one of the number one topics for West Virginia. Well, yeah, that's certainly, I mean, we wrote the study that you and I talked about, the just transition that was actually received pretty favorably by the unions in West Virginia, including the mine workers, uh, and even Senator Manchin's own staff. Except, except that he ignored it once the staff heard it. that the senator ignored it. Yes, that's true. The staff was very nice listening and said they were very favorable toward it. I mean, one of the things we showed, if it could just sink in, that, you know, West Virginia itself could build a green energy infrastructure that would generate about 25,000 jobs. And then the job losses per year to wind down fossil fuels in West Virginia. We're looking at maybe a thousand jobs a year. So we have a program that is going to be beneficial as long as, of course, we have to build in the just transition. We have to have the way that the jobs getting generated and a decent pay. And that should be the struggle in West Virginia. Um, 
that's what, at least what we laid out. Other people know it. It's, it's kind of straightforward. And that's where we need to uh, really move consciousness, whether it happens within the administration or not. Yeah, we got to find ways to talk to ordinary people in places like West Virginia. Like I saw an, a crazy statistic or, or fact that I, I wasn't aware of, that West Virginia, whole sections of West Virginia are more prone to extreme flooding as, a, as part of the extreme weather events caused by climate change than Florida. Like West Virginia is one of the most threatened places in the entire country by climate change. And it's one of the poorest states, if not uh, last I checked, the poorest state. So what is the great benefit that they're getting from their dependency on coal? They would be much better off through a green transition. And that's what we tried to show in our study. And again, uh, it's out there. Uh, and we're happy to talk to anybody who is willing to pay attention and, and think about the well-being of people in the state. So just to get back to inflation, uh, you know, if, if Biden had the uh, backbone and willingness, uh, which I don't think he has either, but at any rate, by executive order, are there things he could do that would deal with inflation, at, which is so tied to the fossil fuel issue anyway? So, I mean, I think that the uh, windfall profit tax, to me, it's on the table. It's there. I think at least a version has uh, uh, passed in the House. It's not called the windfall profit tax. It's called the price gouging measure. Um, let's push those as far as they can go. And, you know, I think that we have to get the energy prices uh, recognizing that we are living in a world that requires these high fossil fuel prices and then rebate people. And I think people can recognize if you got a thousand dollar check from the president and it said, this is to make up for the uh, extra money you've been spending on gasoline. I think people would be uh, willing to uh, accept that and understand it and then get accelerate the supply chain costs down. That I think will be happening. I mean, the Fed is projecting inflation at about five and a half percent by the end of the year. I think that is probably reasonable. And then the wage increases, I think we should be arguing for more. And we should say wage increases don't necessarily mean price increases if we assume that there can be uh, more equality in this society, uh, as opposed to what we've experienced for the last 50 years, which is more inequality every year. That's the critical thing that needs to be reversed. And, and I, I know what I'm, I'm dreaming in technicolor because it's not going to happen, but shouldn't Biden declare a national emergency and use executive orders to simply deal with climate, we're, I was, we're looking at, a, at, a, at in the next five years, it, the, there's more than a 50% chance that one of the next five years, global warming will already hit 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial average. And by uh, 2033, it will be, we will be at 1.5. 
And at one five, especially the way we're going, we're going to hit two, you're going to hit two, you're going to hit three. Like we are on the road to Armageddon here. Well, and look at what's happening in, in India and Pakistan with just this last month. Average temperature is 124 degrees. It's unlivable. I mean, it's livable if you have air conditioning, uh, but 90% of the people don't have air conditioning. And of course, they generate the air conditioning uh, is through electricity um, produced by burning coal, which in turn contributes to climate. So which they're, yes. incre they're increasing the amount of coal they're using. Yeah, that's right. So yes, uh, I would certainly endorse that. I think that that's, we have to recognize that there's no excuse for postponing any kind of climate uh, action. And the Fed, whatever Biden can do in terms of executive power, absolutely, he should be doing it. Well, it won't be, it won't be Biden. There's, if, if there's any chance of this happening, you know, progressives that are primarying conservative Democrats, there really needs to be some kind of uh, radical upsurge here because Biden is, is a prisoner of these forces as much as uh, the other potential candidates are. I agree. All right. Well, that's the call to action. Take over the world. Thanks very much, Bob. Okay. Good talking to you. And thanks for joining us on the analysis.news.